I returned from Venice, Italy in the summer of 2018, having met some of my heroes in the neuroscience field of consciousness study. My exposure to Giulio Tononi and his Integrated Information Theory, IIT, was especially new and important. In learning about the theory, I had the impression that it was taking the conversation in the right direction, but there was something about it which didn't quite work. Of course, the theory is a bit complicated, and, and I didn't fully understand it at the time. I came home to Michigan and got back to work in the laboratory, conducting my day science, as it were. As the week stretched on, I guessed that in the reaches of my subconscious brain, certain concepts and ideas were meeting one another for the first time and editing away in their dreamland at the fringes of my thinking. At some point, I just started writing. I started filling notebooks with ideas and writing at the computer. And once the process got started, I would wake up in the morning thinking about consciousness and try to sleep at night, but I'd be compelled to get up and write because some new idea had occurred to me. I was driven by a kind of mania for a while. The feeling had a double-edged effect. On the one hand, it was exciting and meaningful. I felt like I was doing something really important, to me anyway, and worthwhile, something that I had long aspired to do. But on the other hand, I felt a sense of obligation to get everything into writing, to not miss the opportunity to discover what I was capable of. I wrote an essay that I called The Evolved Nature of Qualia, which included the argument that I presented in episode three of the podcast. I sent it to Christoph Koch, and he replied with a brief email, largely agreeing with what I had written and telling me that my insights needed to be tested in the context of a theory such as integrated information theory. Okay, I thought, I need a theory, one that provides a convincing framework for the existence of human consciousness in terms of a physical universe. So I got to writing again. Now, my explicit goal was to pen my own theory, to lay down what I thought needed to be explained, re-examine the experimental evidence, and reason my way to the answer. When I was finished, I went back and reread the latest published version of IIT, to my surprise, the theory I had devised was essentially IIT. I had developed new terms for things, but once I translated the concepts of my own theory into the vocabulary used in IIT, I discovered major overlap. This isn't that surprising for several reasons. The first was that obviously I, I had been influenced by IIT. I hadn't independently discovered it. It had just taken a lot of thoughtful rumination on my part to fully digest it. In recreating the theory, or a version of it on my own, I could finally make sense of it. Secondly, I was looking at a lot of the same experimental evidence as the rest of the field, so I was bound to land pretty close to the thinking of leading experts that were already immersed in the subject. This was good news to me because it indicated that my reasoning was on the right track. I wasn't totally out of my mind. But most significantly, now that I had a relatively comprehensive understanding of IIT, I could figure out the subtle but major differences that were actually there between my thinking, my new theory, and the thinking of Tononi and his colleagues. I did have a new theory, one that provided me with a greater measure of intellectual satisfaction than any existing theory that I've seen. I decided to publish it. This was a bit intimidating because I do not have a track record in the consciousness field. I'm a nobody in that field a nobody whose theory could be interpreted as an attack on IIT. This isn't my intention, though. 
I have great respect for Giulio Tononi, and my theory would have been impossible without the inspiration afforded, afforded to me by his. In this episode of the podcast, I will share my theoretical framework for consciousness with the public for the first time. Let me begin with a review of the set of characteristics that I laid out in podcast two that I believe a theory of consciousness must be able to accommodate. First, consciousness is a unified composition of contents. Our theory will need to establish how different contents are produced and show how all of the content-producing networks establish one unified experience. Second, conscious contents are specific and meaningful. A certain sound is different from another sound. A certain thought or feeling is different from any other thought or feeling. Our theory will need to explain where these different qualia come from and how they come to have meaning. Third, conscious contents exist from a point of view. Our theory needs to establish how the subjective point of view comes about. Fourth, consciousness is temporally continuous. Our theory must accommodate this fact of conscious phenomenology. Finally, Consciousness is limited and coherent. At any given time, most things that could be conscious are not. A theory of consciousness should provide a mechanism for this and explain the limitations that occur in our experiences. Okay, so let's get to work. Let's start with the insight provided by IIT and undeniable given the evidence and a rational perspective. The physical substrate of consciousness must constitute a single integrated entity. Conscious experiences are united. How? Because we have a single large integrated entity made up of a large portion of the thalamus and cortex under enabling conditions. In my framework, I refer to this simply as the system. And I define it as a single massive entity with some non-zero degree of temporally integrated causality across all of its neuronal elements. So what is temporally integrated causality? I described in a previous episode how a neuron exhibits causality on another neuron to which it communicates by means of action potentials. The firing activity of a neuron, therefore, has some amount of causality on its targets. The more firing activity, the more synapses it makes with its target, and the stronger those synapses are, the more power the neuron has to influence its target neuron in the network. But this power must take place over a very short time frame if it is to be of any effect. This is because the target neuron's membrane potential will shortly return to its former level, its resting membrane potential. Temporally integrated causality, TIC, is a term I have given to the amount of causality one thalamocortical element has on another, divided by the delay in that causality. So a given amount of causality requiring a long period of time will yield a lower level of TIC than the same amount of causality occurring in a short time frame. The large integrated network that makes up the system is composed of a huge number of neuronal elements and all of them have some degree of temporally integrated causality on all of the others and indeed on themselves. In general, the more distance and the more synaptic contacts that it takes to influence another neuron in the network, the lower the TIC between one element and another will be. For my framework, all neuronal elements which are integrated at a non-zero level are part of the system. Neurons can influence the system from outside of it, 
and other neurons can be influenced by elements of the system, but if they are not integrated, sharing cause-effect power in both directions, then they are not in the system. Okay, fine. So we have a large integrated system. Good. So what are conscious experiences? Relax. I'm getting to that. The system is composed of lots and lots of neuronal elements. Many of those elements will be influencing one another to a high degree, much higher than the non-zero level of integration across the whole system. These elements will form, for some period of time, a subsystem. The subsystems are groups of neuronal elements within the system that have a higher degree of temporally integrated causality than that of the larger system. Each subsystem is therefore an integrated entity within a larger integrated entity. So we have a single large system within which many, probably thousands, of individual overlapping and non-overlapping subsystems appear, change, and disappear in a dynamic way. The large system persists as the subsystems come and go. The temporally integrated causality landscape, TICL, is a new theoretical framework for consciousness. You can tell it's a good theory because it has a big fucking technical name. All right, the proposal is not that complicated, but it goes against some of our intuitions, so let me explain. I propose that consciousness is composed of meaningful contents established in the relationship between a large integrated system and some number of integrated and differentiated subsystems existing within the larger system. The large integrated system makes up much of the thalamocortical system. It is integrated such that it composes a single massive entity with some non-zero degree of temporally integrated causality across all of its neuronal elements. Again, a subsystem is a group of neuronal elements within the system that has a higher degree of temporally integrated causality than the larger system has. This means that, according to the TICL theory, the level of temp temporally integrated causality for the whole system from which consciousness arises sets a threshold for meaning. Any subsystem will produce meaningful contents, so the vast majority of random groups of neurons in the network will not produce conscious contents. Their TIC will occur within the noise of the whole system. Remember that I described the organization of the cerebral cortex into hierarchies and maps. Because it is organized in an orderly fashion, not a random one, the particular subsystems that occur at any given time will have particular, specific contents that are meaningful from the point of view of the system as a whole. You see? The point of view is given by the system experiencing the subsystems occurring within it. The subjectivity occurs because that system is the only thing in the universe with access to those subsystems. They only occur to that system because they are part of that system. I am one such system and the contents of my experiences only exist to me. They are part of me. Subsystems produce contents and their meanings are determined by the relationships that they have to other subsystems and to the rest of the system. All of this from the point of view of that system. Each subsystem provides a distinct and differentiated content within the whole experience. As each subsystem emerges, that is, as some subset of neuronal elements achieves a level of TIC that distinguishes it from the rest of the system, 
some particular content enters the experience, where it persists for as long as the subsystem remains. For as long as that group of elements has an above-threshold level of temporally integrated causality. How salient a content is depends on how much greater the level of TIC for its subsystem than the background TIC. Subsystems can be adjacent to or overlapping with other subsystems such that one or more piece of content is bound together with or associated to another, and subsystems can be utterly distinct and distant with regard to others such that their contents are understood as separate. But all subsystems are necessarily part of the same system. In this way, all of the contents of consciousness are unified into a single, dynamic experience from the point of view of the system. How does this framework answer to the characteristics of consciousness as I have previously described them? I said first that consciousness is a unified composition of contents. In the TICL, this is accomplished because all of the contents emerge from subsystems that are also part of the larger integrated system. Next, I said that conscious contents are specific and meaningful. In the TICL, this occurs because every subsystem is necessarily differentiated from every other possible subsystem, and the subsystems are composed of neuronal networks that are arranged into hierarchies and on topographical maps. The emergent content gets its meaning because of its relationship to other coexisting and potential contents. Stimuli from, say, the primary visual cortex fire action potential messages that, are, that can influence neurons inside the network. So the material world, acting on receptor systems, causes action potential signals, which then reach the primary cortex by way of the thalamus. They have, undergoing, they have undergone some processing along the way. When stimuli reach the integrated system, if those stimuli are powerful enough, they will cause a subsystem to form and the system will experience the outcome. If the stimulus is from the primary visual cortex, it will come at a particular place within the cortical maps. Accordingly, the system will have a visual experience at the associated location. Third, I said that conscious contents exist from a point of view. In the TICL, the point of view is that of the entire integrated system, that large set of neurons that make up the network having a non-zero level of temporally integrated causality. Fourth, I said that consciousness is continuous. In the TICL, this is true for as long as a large network sustains a non-zero level of temporally integrated causality. During states of non-consciousness, this is made impossible because of the tendency of neurons in the thalamocortical system to switch into down states after periods of firing. This disrupts the flow of causality and dissolves the system. With local neuronal networks unable to communicate broadly, the point of view has no access to the contents, to the contents that they might provide. Finally, I said that consciousness is limited and coherent, that most stimuli which could be conscious at a given time are not. In the TICL, this occurs because the vast majority of neuronal group activities do not achieve above threshold TIC. If they do not achieve a high enough degree of temporally integrated causality to be distinguishable from the rest of the system, then they do not have meaning from the point of view of the system. They do not form a subsystem, and their signaling is lost in the background noise. This limits consciousness, and the conscious experience is coherent 
because the subsystems that do occur do so upon an organized structure. So the overall experience makes sense from the point of view of the system. The organization of the thalamocortical system with its orderly topographical maps creates a landscape of experience. A coherent model of space such that something seen over here can have its particular characteristics but coexist in a common experience with something heard over there. The body is also represented topographically so that we can experience sensations at various places on that map which we understand we feel to be places on the body itself. I like to think of the landscape as being a kind of vast plain with peaks arising upon it. The elevation of each peak reflecting how much higher is its temporally integrated causality than the rest of the system on which it exists. The TICL framework implies that we have essentially an inverted idea of what conscious experiences are. We are not experiencing the material world around us, but rather the network activities within us. Our minds actually encompass the things we perceive. The contents are all inside of our minds. What about thoughts? These aren't like perceptions. Thoughts don't seem to exist in space. I hypothesize that thoughts are higher level conceptual contents that occur across different maps and in non-map-like cortical arrangements. The thought should still reflect a subsystem, but not one occurring on a topographical map the way a sound or a sight might occur. Integrated information theory, IIT, gave us a plausible attack on the hard problem of consciousness, one that I think is almost right. Starting with five axioms or self-evident foundational claims, Tononi and his colleagues formulated the hypothetical physical postulates for a substrate of conscious experience. These are worth sharing with you here so that you can gain some appreciation for how my framework was influenced by the great ideas that came before it and you can see how the TICL differs from IIT by direct comparison. The first axiom of IIT states that experience exists intrinsically. For IIT, this means that the conscious experience exists to itself. In the TICL, conscious experiences exist from the point of view of a large integrated system. That is, an experience is composed of contents which have meaning to the system. I am a mind. I do not exist to myself. Conscious contents exist to me. The second axiom of IIT says that experiences are structured and that experiences are composed of phenomenal distinctions. According to the TICL, Experiences are composed of conscious contents which have meaning because of the way they are interrelated from the point of view of the system. IIT's third axiom says that an experience is specific. For the TICL, experience is specified by the particular subsystems that have a higher level, a higher level of temporally integrated causality than the whole system. Any experience will differ, will differ from any other in accordance with which neuronal elements form which subsystems in the present moment. The fourth axiom of IIT states that an experience is unitary. This is enabled in the TICL because all subsystems are components of a single unitary system. So all of the contents which emerge are constituents of a single shared experience. IIT's fifth axiom is that of exclusion. This states that experiences with all of their contents are definite in spatial and temporal grain. 
This implies that there is a unit of time over which an experience occurs, and that these units occur one after another in sequence. In the TICL, experiences are composed of dynamic and independent contents. They are not definite. So the foundational claims of the TICL are different from those under underlying IIT in two critical ways. First, conscious experiences exhibit temporal continuity. And second, conscious experiences are not intrinsic to themselves. Rather, they are composed of contents which have meaning from a larger point of view. The implications of the temporally integrated causality landscape are many. Too many to be unpacked in a single episode of the podcast, and probably more than I can even consider. How might attention work in the TICL framework? What about working memory? How might the conscious system accomplish voluntary movement or voluntary thought? The list goes on. I will explore many topics from this vantage point as the podcast proceeds. The manuscript that describes the TICL in full is under its third round of peer review. In the last round, one of the reviewers was satisfied, but the other one, an expert on IIT, had a concern that needed to be addressed with regard to my treatment of IIT under a specific circumstance. I made the correction, and I am optimistic that the journal will publish my paper in the coming months. Then I guess I will learn how it is received by the field at large. I developed this theoretical framework on my own, but I didn't do it in a vacuum. The TICL builds upon crucial insights, especially those in IIT. It is my contention that this new framework takes us closer to the truth. Mm -hmm.